Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Hey, good to see everybody this morning. I'm glad that we, that we gather and we worship together. And I'm always mindful of this, is that whoever the writer of Hebrews was, we don't know. Was it Paul? We don't know. But he always says this, don't forsake the assembling together. Don't forsake that. Don't not meet. Don't get together and worship. And then he says, but, like, conversely, in opposition to that, encourage one another. Which means this, when we don't meet, we don't encourage each other. Now, just out of curiosity, who would say I could use some encouragement today? Okay, that's one of the reasons we gather. We just build each other up. We encourage each other. One of the things we say is, I'm not the only lunatic who believes the idea of this risen Savior. We encourage each other. That's right. That's right. We believe in the risen Christ. I just want to remind you of something before we go on, because I don't say this often enough. But, you know, I believe this with all my heart, that the idol in the American church, when we read in the Old Testament, they have idols, and they set idols around, and they worship them. I've said this many times. The idol today in America is comfort and safety. That is not, those are not Christian values. Comfort and safety are not Christian values. Like, i got to work so I can just, you know, retire and be happy and be comfortable. Like, those aren't. And we forget this. We're on a mission. We're here for a reason, and we have a mission. And if you haven't figured out what you're calling it, whatever that is in your life, man, just begin to pray about that. But I would say this. Remember that we're on a mission. Now, we say it this way at our church because the mission is really mandated by the Scripture. Go and make disciples. So however you say that. In our church, we say it like this. Leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. I want you to know this. If you're here this morning, our desire as a church, all of us, is for you to go from wherever you are to where God wants you to be. I'm working on going from where I am to where God wants me to be. Somebody say amen. And uh, thank you. And so I I don't want to stay here. And look, we want the same thing for you. So if you walked in this morning and you said, I don't call myself a follower of Christ. I'm not, I don't, I'm not really into the whole church thing. Listen, what we want you to do is go to the next step, and we want to help you get there. If you've been following Jesus all your life, and you're now 70 years old, you've been following Jesus all your life, we want to help you get to the next place. That's what we're trying to do. And it's everything that we do is geared toward that. I don't say enough, but I want you to remember this. Our mission is leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. Because we've got to be about the business, Yes? Hey, uh, we'll get into the message. I just want you to acknowledge this. Do we all acknowledge like we're living in a weird time? Right? Like, I I don't know what it was like to be around when uh, Pearl Harbor was bombed. I have no idea. Right? And so you might have been around at that time. I don't know if there was anybody. And that was a weird time. But we're living in weird days. And I think we're all beginning to acknowledge the impact that it's having on our daily lives on us personally. What's the impact that it's having on us because we live in an odd time? Let me throw you some numbers just so you get a feel for this. Half the population reports feeling a sense of worry right now. Like they're acknowledging that they feel a sense of worry. 73% of those describe it as a worry that affects their mental health, okay? But 77% describe it as a worry that is actually affecting their physical health. How many know that worry can affect your physical health? Yep. About half of them say they're actually having trouble sleeping right now because of worry. You ever been there? Nobody, just me. Okay, good. And about half of them say that their worry, and this is interesting to me, say that their worry is actually getting worse and not better. Like we live in this day of worry because of what's been going on. Further, a report says that since last summer, just a year ago, the number of people feeling stressed has risen about 14 percentage points. And the number of people feeling worried 
has climbed about 20 points, representing 53 million more worried adults. And the Gallup organization describes this as unprecedented uh, in its increase in the number of anxious Americans. So can we just at least start with this, acknowledge this. We live in a day of anxiety. We live in a day of worry. We're living in that day. And so one of the questions that I always have when we come up against stuff like that is, what does the Bible actually say about worry? And can I just encourage you, like Jonas, I appreciate that. Jonas or Amos, they're the same, essentially. You're right. They are essentially the same. <laughs> the Jonas brothers. <laughs> and so, uh, forgot where I was going. But one of the things I was going to say is, you mentioned the, the, the reading plan. You mentioned the reading plan. Yeah, exactly. And man, if you don't read the Bible, can I just say this? You should. You should. Now, let's be, let's be very clear. When we read the scripture, it reveals to us who God is. First and foremost, the scriptures enlighten us and reveal who God is. But the other thing that the scriptures do when we, when we read them is they're very practical. They speak into today. The scriptures speak to your life today. There is truth in the scriptures that you can't find anywhere else. God, let's just face it, man. God is ahead of the curve. Yes? And so when you read the scriptures, it informs us about life today. And if you, haven't, if you haven't picked that up, if you haven't gotten that, let me just encourage you. Hop on the website, get on the reading plan, and just begin to read the scriptures. So I ask this question, what does the Bible actually say about worry? But I also want you to just get a vision for this today. I just want you to think about this. What would it look like if you could constructively combat worry? What would it look like if you could just resolve your worry? What would it look like if you could minimize, if you could get rid of, if you, if you could totally be done with worry? Like, what would that look like? See, like, think about whatever it is you're thinking about today. So I'm going to ask you this in your head right now. You got it? What are you worried? Don't say it out loud. What are you worried about right now? You got it? Whatever that is. And there's all kinds of things for us to worry about in the culture today. How many of you are thinking about gas? How many of you noticed that groceries have gone up? Anybody looked at your retirement account in the last six months? It's done really well? Good. Like, we're thinking about all these things. How many of us are thinking about job security? And then, here's what's really happened. We already have all of this what's going on. You understand what I'm saying? We, we all have this, the COVID thing was for the last couple of years. And we've had racial tension like we haven't had in a long time. And we've, we've had all kinds of tension over elections and politics. Okay, that's, that's here already. If you were holding a glass, your glass is already half full. Now you just put on all the other stuff that you normally go through. All your normal stuff that you already go through, your cups are running over. Right? That's where we're at. That, that's where we're living today. What does the Bible say about that from a practical standpoint? Jesus talks about it, and he's going to point out for us and show us a remedy, an actual remedy that we're going to practice today, a remedy for this worry. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to your Bibles right now. Turn to Luke chapter 12. I've called this message, Woes, Worries, and Worship. And we're going to look at a passage from Luke chapter 12. And we're going to say, what does this have to do with me? I come to a church in Bloomington, Minnesota. It's 2022. I got the Jonas Brothers here. What does this have to do with us? <laughs> Luke chapter 12. 
And as you get, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you're new around here, we don't stand up, down the whole time, right? But, but I ask us to stand for this reason. It's just a physical reminder. This isn't some folks that wrote a book. This is God speaking to his people in 2022 right now. He has a word for us. And I want us to just soak that in for a minute. So this is starting in verse 22. It says this. Then, turning to his disciples, Jesus says, This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. Listen to me. Life is more than food, and your body is more than clothing. Hey, look at the ravens. They don't plant. They don't harvest. They don't store food in barns because God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Verse 25. Can all your worries add even a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, then what's the use of worrying over bigger things? 27. Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work. They don't make their clothing. And yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, then he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the truth that's in here. I believe this, God, that you have a word for us today. I don't care who's in the room. I don't care who it is. I believe with all my heart you have a word for them. I know that you have a word for them today. And for, so, Father, would, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you make it clear to us, what is your word for us today? What is your word? And reveal this to us in a way, God, that, that, that draws us to you that gives glory to you, God, that magnifies who you are. Would you do that, Father? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you can all have a seat. So I think it's very practical. I, I've loved this. So usually I work on a message for about three weeks, like bits and pieces. And then I work. So I've been thinking about this for about three weeks and meditating on this. And, and I, I think God has such a practical uh, word for us today. And we're going to put it into practice when we get to the very end. So I want to look at this. I want to examine it. And I want to ask this question. What is God saying to you? And what is God saying to you? He has a word for you. So let's look at the passage. He starts out this way in verse 22. Then, turning to his disciples, Jesus says, that's why I tell you. We always say this, context is everything. Then, and this is why I tell you. Then what? What, what came before that we now say then? What, what had he been saying that he says, and that's why I told you? So if you went back and you looked at the passage right before this, he'd already been talking to them about worry, and he'd been talking about specifically their material possessions. And he talks about a young fool, and I just want you to know this. He describes him as a fool who says, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all the worry out of life. I'm just going to hoard material possessions. I'm going to build a bigger barn. I'm going to hoard more material possessions. And then he says, I can eat, just eat, drink, and be merry. This was a guy who forgot that we're on a mission. He thought that the idols were, to be worshipped were, were material possessions, right? Comfort, safety, it's those types of things. And he's saying, I just got done telling everybody about that. I just got done describing this young fool. And P.S. everybody, it didn't go well for the young fool who was hoarding everything so he wouldn't have to worry, right? And then he says, so because I just talked about that, now, everybody, that's why I'm telling you. And what does he say? I'm telling you not to worry. I'm telling you not to worry. Now, just so, so you know this, so you don't tune out. This isn't going to be one of those things where I just go, hey, don't worry. Uh, by the way, stop worrying. What are you worried about? Okay, don't worry. Like, that doesn't work. That actually doesn't work. When we tell people, don't worry, like, that's not the answer. If my wife's worrying about something, right, I don't just say, stop worrying. Now, as a guy, sometimes I try to fix things, right? 
it, it doesn't work. It's not effective. I have, I have a coffee mug in my office. And have, you know, there's a, there's a great clip if you've ever seen it on YouTube. Go home and, and, you, and pull up the clip. It's Bob Newhart, and it just says, stop it. Just put that in there. And I've got a mug that just says, stop it. Like when people, he, he had somebody sitting in his office, and she was worrying. He said, well, stop it. And she said, no, you don't understand. He said, well, stop it. Right? That doesn't work. It doesn't work to tell people, don't worry, stop worrying. That, that's not effective. And furthermore, and I want to be sure I say this on the front end because I, I want to be very sensitive to this. There are people in this room right now who have experienced something extremely traumatic. You've gone through something very traumatic. It could have been actual physical trauma you've experienced, or it was emotionally very traumatic. Right? I'm not minimizing your pain right now. I'm not telling you, oh, you're silly. Oh, stop that. We're not doing that. If you're, if you're somebody who's experienced real trauma and, and, you, and you've just had anxiety over that, listen to me. You're, you're going to need some help. You're going to need some help with that, and it's not going to be me telling you not to worry. Now, one thing I just want to make a quick plug for is Pastor Jonas, the other Pastor Jonas, he, he, he heads up our, our prayer mentoring, right? Our, our, and so what we, what we make available to you is we have people who are really highly trained in this, and they'll sit down with you and discuss and, and work over this. And what we really try to say is, Holy Spirit, what's at this? Holy Spirit, and they will walk you through that. So, if, if, man, if you have one of those things that you're just really wrestling with, then here's what I'm saying. I would take full advantage of that because we don't charge you for it. And let the Holy Spirit, let them guide you in allowing the Holy Spirit. So I just want to say that up front. Some of you are experiencing that type of anxiety, that type of worry, because there's been something very traumatic. I'm not minimizing that, so, so please don't hear that, okay? But Jesus tells them not to worry, and I do want to point this out. Question, ready? Here's the test. If Jesus says don't do something, and then you do it, what do we call that? Disobedience. It's disobedience, and it's sin, correct? So can we just start up front with an acknowledgement that our worry, that worry is actually sin. Again, not to shame anybody, not to minimize anybody's pain, but I do think we need to have that perspective that worry actually at a point becomes sin. Now, we can't talk about worry if we don't first talk also about fear. Worry and fear are two different things, and you need to understand this, and you need to understand what fear is so that we differentiate. Point, you, you need to know this very clearly. God made you to fear. Let me say that again. God designed you to fear. Okay, in your brain, there's a piece of gray matter called the amygdala. It's in both cerebral hemispheres. And the amygdala is what causes those emotive responses. So that if you're walking in your neighborhood and you're down the sidewalk and you hear like this deep growl, you're supposed to go like that. You're supposed to do that. That's, that's self-preservation. You're supposed to do that. If you're walking down the street and you see a car swerve at you, you're supposed to go like this. You're designed to do that. God created you to do that. If you're standing atop the step ladder on the step that says, don't stand on this step, if you're standing there and you start to go like this and you, and you have this fearful response, you were designed that way. You're supposed to have that response. Fear is an emotion triggered by a real event or a real possibility. That's what it is. You hear the dog growl, the big deep, you know what I'm, not a yip, I'm talking about the big deep growl. You see a car swerve at you. You stand on a ladder. You were designed that way. That's fear. But fear is a response to a very real event or the very real possibility. 
Fear goes away when that, when that uh, stimulus is removed. So now that you, you see the owner come out with a dog on a leash and they walk off and you're like, okay, I'm done with fear. Right? The car straightens out and drives down there. Okay, done with fear. You come down off the ladder. Okay, done with fear. Fear and worry are very different. Worry is from the Greek word, and it's merimnao, and it means, this is interesting, to worry or to be anxious or to be distracted. Now think about this. When you're, issue, when you're dealing with worry, see, worry says the dog went away, the car straightened out, I'm down off the ladder, but all you do is you continue to think about it, and you continue to ruminate it, you just think about it, you think it and you can't let it go. That becomes worry, and now you're distracted because you can't think about anything else. Worry is when you, 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 you're concerned, you're over, and by the way, if you're one of those people who says, I'm not worried, I'm just concerned, Okay, the fact that people are chuckling should tell you something. Nobody else is buying your argument. You're not concerned, you're worried, and you can't admit it, right? Worry is when it, it doesn't, there's really, I mean, we say 95% of the things that you worry about never come to fruition. Worry is, is when you're worrying about something, and it's probably not going to happen, right? Worry is saying, man, I've had a successful business, and now we had one bad day, and the whole thing's gonna tank. Like we joke about this at our house. Worry is when you walk to the refrigerator and you open the door and while the door is open, the light bulb in the refrigerator burnt, it burnt out, wait for it, just wait. And we're all gonna die. Like that's worry. <laughs> it's not a real possibility. We're worrying about things that probably aren't gonna to come to be. See, that's worry. That's when we're talking about worry, worry, worry. Okay, worry. Listen to this, Dr. Charles Mayo from Mayo Clinic. This is, this is how real worry gets. He says, worry affects the circulation, it affects the heart, it affects the glands, it affects the whole nervous system, and it profoundly affects the health. Like, this sinful behavior that we engage in where we just stay locked into it, and again, not minimizing, we're going to talk about a practical solution, it has real implications for us. Some of you are experiencing those, Right? It gives you things like, and these are just, listen, a whole, a whole list of things, a whole litany, but I'm just pulling out a few. Fatigue. Some of you have experienced this, where you have zero energy. You're wiped out. You're sleeping nine, ten hours, and you're still just wiped out. See, that's what fatigue does. It causes an inability to concentrate. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I can't think about anything else because I'm just busy worrying. I can't think about two things at the same time, and I'm only focused on this thing. It causes irritability. Anybody? Anybody? Have you seen that in the culture? People are more irritable today than we've almost ever seen. It causes weight gain. How many of you have ever experienced this? Like we, call, we talk about the COVID-19. Some of it's not just because we sat around and ate more. It's because we were so worried. It causes a, a, a increased production of cortisol. It's a fat-storing hormone. It's very real. Corey Ten Boom, how many of you know the name Corey Ten Boom? Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch woman. She's a follower of Jesus. And during World War II, her family uh, hid Nazis in their homes. They, the whole family was eventually imprisoned and sent into concentration camps. She once said this, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Translation, worry ain't fixing nothing. It only makes you miserable. We spend so much time worrying because we act almost as if it's going to fix stuff. It doesn't fix anything. It just makes today stink. Right? Okay, now look at the passage. Then, turning to his disciples, he says, don't worry, and watch where he goes specifically with this now. 
Don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. Now, Jesus talked to them specifically about two areas, food and clothing, because those were probably two of their biggest concerns of that day. First of all, food, because nobody had the ability to store food. They didn't have refrigeration. They didn't have a Costco, everybody. They didn't have pantries, big pantries, right? They were hunters and gatherers, that type of thing. But also, they, 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 they were an agrarian society, but you didn't have the ability to preserve food, right? So he's like, don't sweat that. And clothing, do you remember two weeks ago we started the parable of the Good Samaritan? Do you remember the man who was attacked? He was on the side of the road and he was what? Naked. You know why? Because clothes were of such a high value. Usually what you had on is what you owned. And so if you, if you mugged somebody, you took their clothes. And he's talking to them about the two, two of the biggest concerns of their, of their day. If he were talking to us right now, which I believe he is, he would say to us, don't worry about the price of gas. Okay? Don't worry about your retirement account. Don't worry about your job. Don't worry about your kids' grades. Don't worry about rising inflation. He, he would talk to us about those very things. He talked to them about two things that were a great concern for that day. Then he goes on and he says, I want you to understand this principle. And this is very important. I think we should get this. We worry most about the things that we're most devoted to. I'll say it again. We worry most about the things that we're most devoted to. Now, some of you aren't going to like this, that I say this, and I'm going to say it. You think, I wish a pastor wouldn't say that. I don't really worry about your jobs. I don't really care. Now, if you told me you're going to lose your job, I'd say, oh, brother, I'm concerned. Oh, sister, I'll pray for you. But the reality is, I'm not devoted to your job. So I, so, so I don't really worry about it. Right? I, I know this sounds terrible. I don't, I don't ever worry about your kids' grades. I really don't. You tell me my kid's struggling in the school, man, I have empathy. I have some, try to have some compassion, you know, I'll pray for you. But see, I'm not devoted to your kid's grades, so I don't really worry about it. You told me, hey, my, my retirement account is tanking. I, I don't ever worry about your retirement account. Don't worry about mine. I don't worry about yours. <laughs> I'm not devoted to yours. We worry most about the things we're most devoted to. Okay. You, you rarely worry about something like, I don't really care about that. Well, then you don't worry. Just think about the things that you're currently worried about. So Jesus is going to go on to them. And he says, look at the ravens. And they're like, really? I thought we were having a conversation here. No, no, no. I don't think Jesus was just saying, let's stop and think about the ravens for a minute. No, they were outdoors. I believe he probably saw birds fly. He was like, hey, listen, object lesson, everybody. Look at the ravens. I want, to, I want to point something out to you. Look at the ravens. And then he says this. They don't plant, correct? They don't harvest. They don't store food in barns. Why? Because God feeds them. Now, I want you to get this, and I want you to just think about this for just a minute. Listen to me. You're more valuable to God than any animal. Listen to me. Just Everybody look up here. Put, 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 listen to me. You folks are more important to God than any animal. God cares far more about you. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that ravens are made in the image of God. It says you were made in the image of God. You are image bearers. You're more important. Animals don't mean that. Sorry, if you're PETA, sorry, don't, right? Like, I was in PETA for a while. Our chapter stands for people eating tasty animals. That's PETA, okay? <laughs> animals... Animals are just not important to God. Not like you are. You are valuable to God. You matter to God. Okay, don't you, don't you think he, he cares? Don't you think he's going to take care of that? Right? Now he gets done with that point and he says this. 
Oh, by the way, look at the lilies. Look at the lilies. Like, I think they're outdoors. They're right there. He says, here's another one. Like, we did the birds. Look at the lilies. Look at the lilies. Look at how they grow. They don't work. They don't make clothing. They don't. We all look at flowers and say how beautiful they are. And he says this, and yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. We looked at Solomon when we studied Ecclesiastes not that long ago. Wealthiest man who ever lived. Dollar for dollar, if you extrapolate it out, wealthiest man who has ever lived. Wealthier than Elon Musk. Wealthier than Jeff Bezos. Wealthier than Bill Gates. You name it. Wealthier. How do you think that guy dressed? We talked about this at the time, but, but Solomon tanked the silver market that he had so much silver around the palace. They said at that time that silver was like stones. And you got to remember where they're at. Rocks everywhere. That's what silver became like. How do you think that guy dressed? And yet, in all his glory, he wasn't dressed as beautifully as the lilies are, that God has designed. He's taking care of business. God is taking care of it. And then he says this, and if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, listen to me, God will certainly care for you in the midst of your worry can we just remember this god will certainly care for you and then he asks this question why do you have so little faith now again this is not to poo-poo anybody this is not to minimize your concerns your concerns are real but he makes this an issue of faith that it's an issue of faith can i just say this to you at some point worry becomes a distorted view of who god is Worry becomes a distorted view of who God is because worry says this, either A, God doesn't know, if he does know, B, he must not care, and if he knows and he cares, then C, it says this, he doesn't have the power or the ability to do anything about it. That's ultimately what worry says. Again, I don't want to oversimplify this, not poo-pooing anything. Your worry is real, and I get that. That's why he's got to talk to us about it, right? This worry thing is very, very, very real. He says something very interesting, though. He says, these things, these ways of worry, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over. Listen, he's saying this. This is actually how people who don't call Jesus Lord, this is exactly how they think. When you worry, you're thinking like people who don't claim that there is an all-powerful God. You're thinking exactly like they do. That's exactly how they think. You're just doing the, you're behaving the same way that the world is, the world that doesn't acknowledge an all-powerful God. Like, that's how they think. Now, he's talked to us about worry. He's talked to us about the fact that it is sin, that it's a lack of faith. He's talked to us about all these. But, but now he's going to give us the actual antidote. And this is where I want us to go. I want us to do, what, what are we going to do? Because, because, again, to tell me not to worry, well, that only makes me worry more. What's the end? What, what are we supposed to do? He's just talked about it. He's just talked about how it's a lack of faith. The very next verse, he's talking to these disciples. The very next thing he says to them is, seek the, God, the kingdom of God above all else, and he'll give, give you everything you need. Now, in our translation, that's exactly how it reads. In the original translation, it says, but. But is the Greek word plain. And it literally means this, nevertheless. In other words, it's acknowledging those things. But nevertheless. It's acknowledging those things, but it says, but in spite of. Like, even though you have these cares of the world, even though this stuff's going on, in spite of that, nevertheless, seek the kingdom of God above everything else. 
above everything else, just seek the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes we get so used to saying that in the church, what does it really mean? I think you, I, I mention this all the time. Anytime I prepare a message, I usually read the passage in about five different translations because different translations say things slightly differently. They, they're telling the same story. They're giving us the same, but, but sometimes they'll emphasize something a little bit more. I really enjoy reading Eugene Peterson's The Message. Eugene was a pastor. He's a theologian. He's a language expert in both the Greek and the Hebrew, and this is the way that he says it, more relevant to today in 2022, he says it this way, look, steep yourselves, immerse yourselves in God reality, in God initiative, in God provisions. Just bury yourself in that. Think about God. Meditate on God. Put your mind on God. Just, just let God infuse your body. Let God infuse your mind. Like meditate. Think about everything about God. Fill your mind with God. It's almost like fill your mind with that and chase everything else out. Right? So I want to get to the big so what. And, and again, we're going to talk about this. We always have a big so what if you're new. So just so you know this, if you stayed awake the whole time, it's nice. You didn't have to. You can sleep and then just wake up when we do this. The big so what is this. Kingdom devotion is the antidote for destructive emotion. See, kingdom devotion. And I'm going to simplify this for you even a little bit more. I would just simplify it and say it this way. Worship is the antidote to worry. Worship, worship, worship. What is worship? Worship is elevating God to the place that he should be. Worship is acknowledging God for who he is. Worship is putting God on the throne where he belongs. Worship is prioritizing God above everything else. Now, we have the big so what, and then we have the big now what. And I want to talk about the big now what for just a minute, because I want this to be practical for us. It's going to be obvious to you, so I know you, already, you can probably already you look at what you've written. This is probably it. But the big now what is just simply this. Yeah, think like a cow. Let's close. Father, we thank you. All right, so let me just flesh this out for you a little bit. Because this is what I want us to do. I want us to literally think like cows, just in this regard. Let me tell you a story real quick from, from the Old Testament, from, from Joshua. The Israelites have been slaves for 400 years. It's been terrible for them. And then God sends a deliverer, and his name is Moses. And Moses and Aaron lead the people out. And remember, God splits the Red Sea, and they walk through the Red Sea. And then they, they wander, they, they go to Mount Sinai, and God gives them instruction. They wander in the desert for 40 years because of their disobedience. Now, now they can see the promised land, and they are excited, and Moses dies. The greatest leader that the nation of Israel has ever known, you're just about to enter the promised land, which means this, they know that battle lies ahead. They're not just waltzing in. Battle lies ahead. And the greatest leader we've ever known is now dead. Can you imagine the fear? Can you imagine the anxiety? Can you imagine the worry? Can you imagine the discouragement? So right away in Joshua, he says this in chapter 1, Moses, my servant, is dead. People have got to be losing their marbles. And here's what he tells them. Joshua chapter 1. Verse 9, he says, this is my command. Listen, I get it. Moses is dead. This is my command to you. Be strong, my people. Be courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I don't want you guys worrying about this. And here's why. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's all great. How are we going to do that, God? He told him in the verse right before it. you got to catch this. Watch what he's going to tell them about the antidote so that they're not. 
He says this, study this book of instruction, the scriptures, and he wants them to meditate on it. I want you to read this. I want you to meditate. I want you to put it in your brain. I want you to think about this. I want to reveal to you who I am. I want to be elevated to my place of authority in your life. I want you to realize that I'm the God who does miracles. I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to be reminded of who I am. I want you to think on this constantly. Now, he uses this word, meditate. Meditate. Meditate is the same as ruminate. Okay, this is what cows do. You know how cows ruminate? They see grass, they get grass, they chew grass, they swallow grass, they throw it up. You know what they do when they throw it up? Here's a pleasant picture. They chew it again. They swallow it. They throw it up. They chew it. They swallow it. They, do you understand what I'm saying? We see it, we chew it, we swallow it, we throw it up. We chew it, we swallow Now, do you know why cows do that? The reason that cows do that, number one, is because their stomachs are satisfied. And they don't know this when they're doing it, but this is what cows are doing. They're getting every bit of nutrition that they possibly can get out of that grass. You know why? So that it strengthens them, so that it builds them up, so that it gives them energy, right? This is what we do. We chew it, we swallow it, we throw it up. It infuses us. We do that over and over again so that it reminds us of who God is, so that it puts him on his right throne, so that we have a proper perspective, so we understand who this God is, that he knows, that he cares, that he has the power and the ability to do anything about it. That's worship. That's what worship is. When you put God on that throne and you put him where he belongs in the proper perspective of who he really is, that's worship. That's why worship is the antidote to worry, because worship continues to put God on the right throne, on the right place in our lives. That's what worship does. When we think like cows, man, we just keep bringing up who is God, who is God. That is worship. That is worship. Now, we're going to worship this morning. You know this, that in the Bible, what you see is this. You see a revelation, and then you see a response. That's what happens in the, in, the, in the scriptures. And worship is a response. Worship is a response to a revelation of who God is. So before we worship, I want to tell you, I just want to explain one more thing just so we set the table. I want to read you a verse out of Psalm 67. Look at this. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. That's worship. This is a Hebrew word, praise, worship. It's the same. Did you know this? In the Hebrew language, there are seven different words that are used for praise and for worship. There are seven different words. This word that's used here in Psalm 67, this is the Hebrew word yada. Yada. Yada is praise and worship. Now, here's the deal. It means praise. It means worship. But it also was used to this. It means to throw something it means to cast something off. It would be this picture. You're throwing. You're casting off. Now watch what he's saying. May the nations praise you, O God. May the nations praise you. May we praise like this. And sometimes we do this because we got a room full of a lot of Scandinavians. And we go, that's, that's not really how I'm wired. This, my heart is right when I, that's cool. But God says this. May all the nations. May all the peoples praise you. And so here's what I'm saying. I'm not telling you what you need to look like when you worship. I'm just saying this. Don't resist the Holy Spirit if he wants to worship through you. Don't, don't suppress it. We're going to worship. We're going to get God on the throne. We're going to declare who God is. We're going to remind ourselves 
so that worry, listen, right now in your head, what's that thing? What's that thing? What is that worry? You got it? Okay, we're gonna lay that down. We're literally gonna just lay it down. And we're gonna do that by declaring who God is. We're going to yada this morning. We're gonna declare the greatness of our God. Let's stand and pray. And then after that, we're going to worship this morning. Father, this morning we acknowledge who you are, that you are the almighty God of creation, that you are the all powerful, that you made us, that you know about us, that you care about us, that you know our situation. And not only do you know, and not only do you care, but God, you are almighty and you are able. You, God, can do something about our situation. So God, this morning, our desire is to worship you. That's what we've come to do this morning is to worship you. So be glorified, be glorified in our worship, Father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.